0: I'm going to read from Luke 22 today. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat it, eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. So you're all familiar with this passage of course from Luke's gospel and there are many things in it that are worthy of comment but uh, what I want to do is uh, focus on a couple of things as you come forward and I would invite you to come forward right now as I speak um, first of all he speaks about the fact that he will no longer eat of the fruit of the vine or eat the Passover, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, until it is fulfilled. So those are interesting words because the fulfillment is what uh, is being waited for. The fulfillment of what Christ is doing here, or what he is about to do anyway. He is about to sacrifice himself, about to sacrifice his life for sinners. But he's doing that in view of something to come. He's doing that in view of a fulfillment. And the fulfillment is yet ahead of us. It was ahead of him. It still awaits the fulfilling right now. But what a wonderful fulfillment that will be. What an extraordinary thing for us as we uh, partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper that we think about that fulfillment. We think about the day when we won't be taking the memorials, as it were. We won't be taking the elements anymore because we will see and be in and be part of that fulfillment. And I can't wait for that. That would be so... Just mind-blowing, weren't it? Finally, what these things pointed to, they will be done. And we will be there enjoying that fulfillment. So this bread, or this piece of cracker, isn't it? But this element signifies the the body of Jesus Christ, not the glorified body of Christ, but the broken body of Christ, the human body, a body just like ours, that was broken on the cross. And he said that he will not partake of the Passover until the fulfillment. Well, the fulfillment is that we will have bodies Broken right now, but bodies that will be transformed, just like Jesus' resurrection body in the fulfillment. Let's let let's uh, partake with that in view this morning. And then Jesus also speaks about the fact that uh, even though the hand of his betrayer, Judas, is right there with him, he knows what is happening. What is occurring has been determined by God. This doesn't mean that Judas didn't have any uh, free will to do or not do what he did, but it means that God, because he got, He's God and He knows all things, and however one understands that, and this is—I can't go into all of that right here but God because he upholds all things and he knows all things has predetermined this point and Jesus is aware of that Jesus is aware of the fact that what is going to happen in the next 24 hours has to happen It has to happen, because if it doesn't happen, then we don't get redeemed. If it doesn't happen, we're done for. And we need to understand the shedding of the blood of Christ in that way. If Jesus doesn't go through with the hard thing that he has to go through, the crucifixion, we don't get saved. So let us take of the uh, symbol of the new covenant in that way dear father we we know that we're saved by your grace but we're saved on the basis of a grace that is dearly bought that jesus had to face the execution of himself Lord, on the basis of crucifixion, it wasn't an easy death. It wasn't a painless death. It wasn't a death surrounded by friends. It wasn't a death that was dignified. But he went through it, Lord, because that was the way that sinners such as I, sinners such as we, could be reconciled to you and find that we would arrive, Lord, on the shores of the kingdom, safe and sound and blessed. That was Jesus' reward. And so we are grateful indeed for what these symbols speak of. Help us, Father, to remember and to understand this, this week, because this is Easter week. Help us recall, Lord, what price was paid for our sins. And let, let us not add to uh, the value of Christ's sacrifice as, w- as if we could add anything to it. But just accept it, believe it. Believe that it is finished for those who trust in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So there was a question that uh, I had to ask myself and was asked as well about what kind of sermon I would preach uh, on a palm sunday would I preach you know the normal uh, triumphant entry into jerusalem which I have preached on several times <laughs> uh, from this pulpit or do something different and I thought well actually we've we've arrived In the series on the oaths of God, we've arrived at a very interesting portion of scripture, a portion that's called the Akedah uh, by the Hebrews, which is the binding, that's what the word means, the binding of Isaac for sacrifice by his father Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And I want to return to that next week. Uh, because there are more lessons from it. But I thought that there are aspects of it that certainly mirror what uh, we are considering today. If you would turn with me to the book of Hebrews, but I'm also going to be reading from Genesis as well. But if you would read with me uh, Hebrews chapter 11... And verses 17 through 19. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. This is going to be our main text. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So that's our main text that we'll be looking at. But I want to flip over to Genesis 22 and read that account because it's a very suspenseful account. In fact, Um, A famous book was written about it by uh, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. It's well worth reading, actually, called Fear and Trembling, which, which is about this very account. And I like what Kierkegaard does. What he does is he enters into the mental struggle that Abraham must have had. I mean, it's all very well that God shows up saying, uh, go and sacrifice your son. But, you know, any uh, warm-blooded human being, even if he's obedient, is going to have trouble with that. He's going to struggle with that. He's going to have emotional, uh, you know, tsunamis rushing through his mind and his heart for the whole time that this is being considered and especially as this is about to happen. And Kierkegaard brings that out. Here's uh, Here's the account, Genesis chapter 22. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. That's the kind of the text that I want to settle on this morning from this uh, chapter. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to, to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac. That's the Akedah. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And we're going to revisit this passage next week, Lord willing, or not next week, so the, uh, the week after next, Lord willing, as we continue our study. But because the book of Hebrews draws a parallel between this and, um, and Christ, saying that I, uh, Abraham, who was, who was willing to kill his son, was stopped from doing that, but yet kind of received him in a figurative sense from the dead. He'd already resigned the fact that uh, Isaac was going to die. And yet, God was going to raise him up again. He'd, He'd figured that one out too. That's what Hebrews tells us. Because of that, that obviously prefigures Christ. Christ, who was going to be sacrificed. There was going to be no relief. There was going to be no lamb caught in the thicket, as far as Christ was concerned. He would be killed. But he, too, would rise from the dead. So there is a correspondence between these two two actions, between the passion account of Christ and Genesis 22. So I do want to come back to this passage in Genesis 22, but let's get back to Hebrews 11, shall we? and concentrate for a moment on this text Hebrews 11:17 and following I want you to notice that it was by faith that Abraham did this It is by faith that Abraham responded to the call of God that we've just read and was willing to travel three days journey and more to Mount Moriah and to kill his son because God had told him to. And he'd already resigned that Isaac was done for at his own hand. And yet the text tells us As I've said, that he also received him in a figurative sense. He received him back. The faith of Abraham knew that he would receive him back. This is the thing. It's it's an amazing truth revealed in Scripture. That Abraham reasoned on the basis of his faith. He reasoned on the basis of his faith. He did not reason to faith. He reasoned from faith. You say, well, what's the difference between those two expressions? If we reason to faith, we're saying, well, let's get a logical take on this. Let's understand this logically. And if I can put it together logically in my mind, then I'll believe it. Yes? That's not what Abraham did. What Abraham did is that God told him, that was a fact, okay? God told him and he reasoned from that. Okay, so that's what God says, so I'm gonna reason from what I know God says. And on the basis of that, look at what the text says here. <clears throat> in verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up. You see, he'd reasoned that, well, Isaac's the son of the promise. God had gone through all of this stuff. Remember Genesis 17? You know, not, not Ishmael, but Isaac. Yes, all of that stuff. God had been very clear about it. Would be it was Isaac who was the son of the covenant. And now, what's God doing? Sacrifice, son, your only son, Isaac, your beloved son. I mean, God really pours it on. Okay, that's what you've said. That's what I'm going to do. But I know. Since Isaac is the son of the oath, you're going to have to raise him up again. Do you see? God's not going to contradict himself. God's not going to say, oh, the covenant, my covenant is going to be through Isaac and his descendants. And then tell me to go and kill Isaac and not raise Isaac back up from the dead again. You understand that? It's a, it's a crucial point. I'll drive it home more next week. But it is a crucial point. God is not a contradictory God. Therefore, our reason must reason in line with what God says. Whether we can fully comprehend what God's doing or not. We don't, in other words, use our Logical faculties, which are God given in the first place, to decide whether we should obey God or not. Whether we should believe what God says or not. We believe what God says because He says it, and then we reason from that. Another example of this, for example, uh, that I brought out before, is the disciples when they're crossing the lake and there's a storm arises yes you remember that the storm arises and they panic they start panicking most of them are sailors most of them are fishermen but they're panicking they realize what this means but Jesus you you see has said I'm going across and he's asleep they wake him up they stir him they say don't you care that we perish And Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and then he goes and rebukes the disciples. Why? Have you no faith? If you'd have reasoned from faith, you wouldn't have woken me up and I've got some decent kip. Do you understand? There's a difference between believing what God says and reasoning from that And reasoning to something and say, okay, on that basis, I will believe God. One of them's faith and one of them isn't faith, quite honestly. Listen, is God good? Okay, is God faithful? Is God loving? Okay, is he compassionate? Does he understand our frame? Of course he does. Well, you can trust him then, can't you? And on on that basis, you see, the faith of Abraham is, well, okay. I'll do what you say, God, because you're telling me to do it. But I understand because of what you've already said, and I have faith in what you've already said about Isaac, you're going to have to raise him from the dead again. That's why, let's get... um, I'm not. I'm no. I'm not following this. Am I really? Not really. I'm sorry. I got carried away. But let's go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Quickly, verses 4 and 5. I'm actually bringing point 3 to point 2, and I'll do point 2 after I've done point 3. How's that? So Genesis 22, look at, look at this, verses 4 and 5. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here for the, with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and what? We will come back to you. Abraham knew that he'd be bringing Isaac back. What he didn't know is that he wouldn't have to kill Isaac and God wouldn't have to raise him from the dead but he didn't know he didn't know that at that point in time do you see but he he was reasoning that Isaac would be alive for the return journey that's extraordinary but it's based on God tells me what to do I don't fully understand it but I'm going to do what God tells me what to uh, tell me to do and uh, also God's going to have to raise him from the dead because God has already made a promise concerning him Yes he knew that Okay Abraham saw the place afar off can you imagine even though Abraham had that faith, he wasn't, I'm, I'm not thinking he was completely okay with this. Okay? I'm not thinking that, hey, I'm gonna to have to stab my son. All of the, the moment where I, where Abraham lifts the knife, what do you think Isaac's thinking? Talk about PTSD. Talk about, you know, what's going on here, Father, because Abraham hadn't explained it to him. He just said God will will uh, supply the lamb, which is actually you. Do you see this? So there would have been God had God had given enough time. For the emotional struggle, the pain, the doubt, um, the, you know, for reason to, to come in and act independently of what God said and say, well, God didn't really mean that, surely. For the devil to come in and whisper in his ear, for all of that to happen, he'd given him the time. Three days journey and then looking up and seeing the place. This daunting place afar so off and knowing he had to walk to it with his son to kill his son. Why on earth did God do that? I mean, talk about making it difficult. Why, why did God do that? Because God wanted to test Abraham. He wanted to test his faith. Now, whatever we make of that, we have to say this about it, which is that God um, he knows all things, and yet our responses, our emotions, our obedience or disobedience is ours. Do you see? It's ours. And it's, we have to go through that experience of obeying God on the basis of faith or disobeying Him on the basis of unbelief. And that's our decision. That's the only way you can interpret that passage from Genesis 22. There's more to say on that, of course, but we don't have time to go into that. Sometimes, here's the application, sometimes God asks us to go through very difficult things through emotional, sometimes physical pain, financial pain. He asks us to go through these things. And it doesn't seem to make sense. And we may be uh, brought to doubt that God is good or that God's going to be there for us. Because if he was good, why would he do this? That's when faith must come into its own. We can say, I don't understand what's going on and I don't understand the difficulties, why I'm going through these difficulties, but I'm going to trust you, God. And the definition of faith that I've given you over and over again is that faith is at its heart dependence on God. It's dependence on God. Unbelief is independence. Jesus foresaw, he understood, he saw from afar off the cross. You see that? He saw it from afar off. He understood the pain and the agony in the garden that we haven't read about, but you've all read about Gethsemane showed you the emotional pain that Jesus had to go through, that he had to endure. Did he know he would rise from the dead? Did he know? Yes. But he wasn't looking forward to dying on the cross. He wasn't looking forward to becoming sin for us. He wasn't looking forward to his humiliation. He wasn't looking forward to Satan laughing at him and triumphalizing over him. We've got to put ourselves in these situations. Jesus a week from now, as it were, was looking at Calvary. And just like Abraham, who foresaw what he would have to do, and going through all of that turmoil emotionally and mentally, Jesus went through this emotion So, look at, if you're in Hebrews, I hope you're in Hebrews. I know I've kind of messed you around a little this morning. But we should be now on Hebrews 9, because we're looking at point 2, which is now point 3. Point 3, the sacrificial act of God for us, which is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Just... Uh, wanted to insert this passage because it highlights something that's crucial. Hebrews 9.26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is talking about Jesus, of course. And the contrast there is between the the high priest, the Levitical high priest, who every year at the Day of Atonement had to offer a sacrifice for himself and also for the nation. If Jesus would have had a Levitical ministry like the high priests of the Old Testament, he too would have had to have offered himself yearly for sins. How often did Jesus sacrifice himself? Once. He died once. He doesn't have to be sacrificed again. Either physically or symbolically. Jesus' sacrifice is a once-for-all sacrifice. All that we have to do is trust in that completed finished and satisfactory sacrifice and our sins are forgiven. You say, well, can't God just be a nice grandfatherly figure and just say, ho, 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 okay, you know, boys will be boys. Your sins are forgiven. No, he can't because he's just. No, he can't because of the, the depravity that sin is. It's a contradiction of God's very nature. God can't deny his very nature. He has to do something. He has to be just. And therefore, Christ had to become a human being and he had to die. He had to sacrifice himself. His death on the cross was a sacrificial offering to God. Do you see that? It was a sacrificial offering to God. It was going through with what Abraham didn't have to go through. So Jesus not only had to contemplate Calvary, he actually had to go through Calvary. He had to die. but as hebrews 11:19 tells us he too understood that god would raise him from the dead and not just him this is it not just him jesus has been risen from the dead gloriously now for 2000 years nearly 2000 years it's actually 2000 years um from according to most people, uh, most scholars from 2030, that will be exactly 2,000 years. It could be 2033 but most scholars think 2030. that will be exactly 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. But Jesus, you see, knew something else. He knew that, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, He would be the first fruits. He would be the first of many who would be raised from the dead. And those that have been, that will be raised from the dead are all of those who have put their faith in the merits of Jesus' death for them, their sins. Jesus is a substitute he's a substitute for you just as that ram was a substitute for Isaac there had to be a substitute Jesus is your substitute he's my substitute it's not Jesus substitute plus your works your works are garbage they are There's filthy rags. It's Jesus alone. It's him who's the sacrifice, not him and us, or him and our deeds, or him and our uh, good motives. It's just him. He had to endure that, and he was willing to endure that because he foresaw not just his resurrection, but your resurrection. That was procured also at the cross and at the resurrection of Jesus. I hope that you and I have that same faith that Abraham demonstrated. It was a perfectly reasonable faith, but it wasn't an easy faith. Why was it reasonable? It was reasonable because we know God is good, that God is the author of life, that God makes covenants and he's going to fulfill those covenants. He's not going to reinterpret them, which means that Isaac means Isaac. Do you see? Abraham knew that. And so he was willing to do what God asked him to do. What does God ask you to do? Does he ask you to go and sacrifice an animal, go and, you know, go three or four days journey to do it to a certain place? Does he ask you to do anything really difficult? What does he ask you to do? Believe in the merits of the one who did endure the pain and the suffering and the mental anguish. Believe in the merits of Jesus. That Jesus died for your sins, your sins, and that he rose again from the dead to guarantee that you would live forever if you trusted in him. And now it's over to you. He's done the work. Now it's over to you. What are you going to do with that? I hope that you're going to reason that, oh, if all the work's done for me, all I need to do is trust that. And it's the most reasonable thing in the world to believe that. Jesus, you see, was a willing sacrifice. He was willing. That's done. What about you? Are you willing? Are you willing to trust Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would consider what the role of faith is in reading about these stories. They're true stories and they demand a response. They're true actions taken by your son on our behalf and they demand that we believe there is only one way of salvation and that is trusting that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and that he rose again third day next week Lord will mark the anniversary again of that great atonement and I pray Father we will all face that anniversary as believers. That we won't reason to whether we can believe it, but that we would believe it on the basis of your word and reason from that. That's true faith. That's saving faith. That's faith that will deliver to each of us forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.